0: Even when we got to the point where we were like, man, this is pure hell. We don't wanna do this anymore. There was still actually no part of us that thought, and we wanna leave Scientology. My whole family was Scientologists, her whole family was Scientologists. All we wanted to do was leave the Sea Org. If you don't agree to go through their procedures for leaving the Sea Org, you're gonna be expelled. Your family's gonna disconnect from you. So that's why getting pregnant is the easiest and fastest way out of the Sea Org
1: this is part two of my two-part special with erin smith levin the former scientologist who grew up in scientology if you have come over presumably you have come over from having just listened to the growing up in scientology part with erin smith levin and it makes sense that way it might be that you are somebody who likes to do things the other way around and and why shouldn't you we should celebrate that and maybe you're getting into this leaving Scientology bit before even knowing how he grew up or maybe you don't care about the growing up and you're just here for leaving I would recommend you listen to both but uh this bit does have a lot of feels in it we get into the especially when we get into parts about Aaron's family his twin brother and things like that it is actually quite uh Difficult and emotional at times, and that's what this is. You know, if you're in a cult, if you're leaving a cult, if your family's been mixed up in this kind of thing, horrible things can happen. Do follow my friend Aaron Smith Levin on all the socials and things, and follow his YouTube channel, Growing Up in Scientology. We've got some big episodes coming up, as I was saying before in the first part, but I'm talking to God that's one of them. Helen Lewis, Coleman Hughes, I'm going to meet him in London to do an episode. Steve Hassan's coming on, so it's all happening, but now you're on the edge of leaving Scientology. With Aaron Smith-Levin. It sounds awful, but it sounds like you were having a great time. So (laughs) where did it sort of go wrong to the point that you wanted to leave?
0: So, well, I'll give you the fast forward version of that. So at 15 years old, I finished up in Clearwater and I'm still thinking, this is awesome. I want to do this for the rest of my life. And then I go back to Philadelphia. And. And the people that were running the Philadelphia Org were such horrible, horrible people. I'm looking at you, Bonnie Di Martino, Attilio Di Martino, Edward Di Martino, Samantha valeric to a lesser extent. I'm looking at you, assholes. Okay, which is ironic because m- my mom married a Di Martino that has nothing to do with those Di Martinos, and my younger brother's name is Di Martino. <laughs> That's funny. So, and Michael Di Martino and Edward Di Martino, you guys are horrible people, and I I wish you nothing but the worst. Okay, so oh, those well, guys made those guys made my experience working at the Philadelphia org so horrible that after being there for only three years, I actually left Scientology for two years and moved to LA with my brother and just sort of effed off for two years. Then I real, but in my mind, I hadn't actually left Scientology. I was just no longer gonna do it for a while. But remember, if you break your contract of volunteerism or whatever, you owe them money for everything that you did. So at 17 years old, um, at 17 years old, I left staff and I owed Scientology $100,000. <laughs> That's insane. I say 17. I was just about to turn 18. And so for two years, in my mind, I was a Scientologist, but didn't do any Scientology from 1998 to 2000. And then I went back to Philadelphia to finish my contract because I was never going to be able to come up with $100,000. Okay. So, I'll, okay. For a short version, I go back to Philadelphia for two years. I finished my contract. And then after that, I joined the Sea Org, okay? But remember, I'd already had a horrible experience in Philadelphia, right? And at this point, I really didn't want to keep working for Scientology, but I could never get out of my head how much I enjoyed being in Clearwater. So when the opportunity was presented to me to join the Sea Org, I was like, you know what? I do remember how much I wanted to do that so badly. And I've sort of fallen away from that now. But now that the opportunity is being put in front of me, I should just do it, even if I don't want to. I should just do it because I do remember how badly I wanted to do it before. So I'm going to take this opportunity. And so I joined the Sea Org, but I didn't go to Clearwater. I went to Los Angeles. And the short version here is that my experience being in the Sea Org in Los Angeles was again so effing horrible that I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So after four years of that, my wife and I sort of accidentally got pregnant.
1: Ah. <laughs> so and you that's can't. Not have- allowed.
0: You can't have children in the Sea Org. So if you have children in the Sea Org, if you get pregnant, you either have to go to the clinic and get it taken care of, or you have to leave the Sea Org. Well, the only reason we got pregnant was so that we could get the golden parachute out of the Sea Org. Not that they give you any money, but.
1: (laughs) Sure. So what were were some of the sort of worst things, just to give us an idea, that that were going on in the Sea Org day to day?
0: I I mean the worst things is you wake up at seven o'clock in the morning after having four hours of sleep and you have to go to a morning meeting and your commanding officer is trying to punch you in the head at the
1: meeting. Actually, punch you in the head. Trying to, he never succeeded, but <laughs> you just you just ducked and dived. I'm a pretty sly little individual. <laughs> Bloody hell! Because Mike Rinder talks about again. I mean, there were times where it sounds like it sounds like Mike Rinder was both extremely aggressive to people. Below him, but also very submissive to say uh, David Miscavige, the leader. So he talks in his, he writes in his book about just getting punched in the face by David, who's half his height, uh, and just having to take it. And David, would, David Miscavige, would just hit him, beat him up, do whatever to him, throw him in the hole for days at a time. Was that like, did any of that happen to you? Was that like select for people like Mike, the stories that Mike tells,
0: because they involve David Miscavige and the international base are to a certain degree, somewhat unique to the international base, things were actually much worse up there than they were down in LA, which is something I thought was the opposite. Because remember, from my experience in Clearwater, I thought Clearwater was so great because David Miscavige had his hand in that pie to a greater extent than he did anywhere else. I thought the closer you got to Miscavige, the better things were. So when I was in Philly and it was horrible, I'm like, well, that's because we're so far away from the, the positive influence of David Miscavige. When I even was in LA and it was shitty, I was like, that's because we're still further away from the influence of David Miscavige than we were in Clearwater. It wasn't until 2009 that I found out the closer you get to Miscavige, the worse it gets. And that's why stories from like Mark Headley and Mike Rinder and Jeff Hawkins and and, and and et cetera are so horrible because they worked closer with Miscavige than anybody. So in LA, things were pretty bad, but not quite as bad as in management. But I didn't know that. I didn't know that at the time. So, I mean, things like, um, I'll give you an example. In management, they would throw people into a dirty pond and call it overboarding you know, as a punishment. Well, in LA, they would just pour a five-gallon bucket of water over your head and call that overboarding. Like they would do that to grown women who were professional Scientology auditors for not making enough hours, you know. Um, I mean, and I'll give you other just examples that to some people might just sound silly. Like as Sea members, we weren't there's certain, you know, my job that I had was overseeing the course rooms and overseeing where the professional auditing was delivered. Well, the course rooms would have a fifteen minute break from like three thirty to three forty five. Well, the public were allowed to take a break, but we were not allowed to take a break to we weren't allowed to go get a little snack or something like that. Well I was like, you know, screw that. I'm going to my room. I'm going to get a snack. I got some sausage. I got, you know, I got some summer sausage in my little refrigerator. I'm going to get a snack. Well, I would li- there was one incident where I literally got into a physical altercation with another Cerg member because his job was to prevent other Cerg members from going to get anything to eat at 3.30. I mean, this gets, it sounds so silly and stupid. It's like his job was to make sure nobody went to go get food at break time. That was his job, to stand at the door and to physically prevent people from getting anything to eat at 3.30. Were
1: you ever the, you ever the one who had to, were you disciplining others in any ways?
0: I, uh, I would discipline my juniors only to the extent of yelling. You know, I would never, I never disciplined people with physical, uh, physical with touch. But, but, okay. you know, that, that Did you feel my
1: angry? Point. Oh, my God. Yes, I could scream. I could rip someone's face off verbally. Yes, I was good at that. Yeah. You are a bit scarier, and sometimes, uh, you know, it depends on the day. Well, sorry, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, he's in one of no, not really. He, he, don't he, don't well, tell anybody what don't tell anybody about that that incident. <laughs> that incident when you no, smashed no, through this no. the screen. No, but obviously I can see that you weren't you weren't violent, but yeah, that real anger. You really felt that anger. Yeah. But know.
0: you know, it's funny because one of the things Scientology tries to do to discredit me is they say that I was a violent person in the Org who beat people up. It just that never occurred. So I'll give you just one example. I had a senior who was a woman, and we were actually good friends. Um but she would get a lot of heat from her boss for being too soft on me. So I remember one incident. She came and got in my face about something she thought I was doing wrong. But it's hard to take her very seriously because we're close friends. And here she is like screaming at me. And I, I wasn't being as deferential to her as she wanted me to be in the conversation. So she grabbed my tie and yanked it and pulled me by my tie. And in response, I pushed her away. I pushed her off of me this gets spun into like I beat up a woman. I'm just giving you an example. Like this is an interaction that would be, it's not like when I say typical, untypical, it's not like that would happen every day, but a Sea Org member would hear that story and go, that's not unusual in the Sea Org. That's not unusual even if it doesn't happen every day. Okay, so she yanked my tie and I pushed her off of me. That was the end of the interaction. It's not like she then jumped on top of me or I jumped on top of her or someone got in a, a kick at the end. No, she yanked my tie. I pushed her off of me. End of story. And that gets spun into like, I beat up a woman. <laughs>
1: hmm. so, it's just part of that, the fair game tactics that after you left?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, they'll say anything about you. They, they don't care. But I'm, I'm using that as an example of one. That's not unusual for Sea Org members to treat each other that way. I mean, could you imagine going into the office and y- y- your your seniors laying hands on you? You know, I had one time um, the commanding officer came into my office and demanded that I stop doing what I'm doing and get up and go do something else, and I just, again, wasn't as deferent as he wanted me to be in that moment, and he swung at my head. And he slowly glanced off the top of my head, and I grabbed him, and I just held on to him really tightly so that he couldn't hit me, honestly. Um, but I never hit him. I never hit him back. I mean, I wouldn't, striking your senior would be considered somewhat unheard of. Like, that's what you don't do. And, and that's reflected in the stories that you hear from Mike Rinder about Miscavige beating people up. Nobody ever tried to hit Miscavige back, except Mark Hadley once almost sort of did, and like three people grabbed him, you know. So like physical violence is just not unheard of, or even very frowned upon in the Sea Org. So I'll add on to that the fact that Scientology's management system is such that someone has to be to blame for anything that happens. Like if stats are down on Christmas, you know, stats are down everywhere on Christmas, except for Toys R Us and Amazon, you know, (laughs) YouTube youtube stats are down on christmas someone has to be to blame for the reason why stats went down on christmas i'm just using this as a very real example the fact that the culture in the sea org was that someone there always had to be a head to put on a pike for anything combined with the fact that temper and exhibiting temper is considered a a a positive characteristic of of an executive in scientology it just made the sea org experience just horrible. Everybody was always at war. And and you can, you can be the next guy to be singled out as the reason for, for something for, for no other reason than the fact that somebody has to be singled out. And it just gets, it just gets exhausting after, after years.
1: Speaking of singled out as a segue here, how did you meet your wife um, no no longer being single? So you were, you were both on the sea org together.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we just, were, we just were essentially working. We weren't even in the same organization, but our job duties overlapped. So she was in a senior organization, but her job required her to essentially, um, you could say have some oversight of what was happening in my organization. So we just sort of met that way. And even that had to be a brokered arrangement. Like I never would have asked her out because she was in a senior organization. It's somewhat unheard of. So, like one of her coworkers, like, sort of came to me and was like, Oh, I hear you might be interested in, you know, Heather. And I, and I was afraid she was calling me out. I was like, oh, What? I, did, I didn't say that to anybody. <laughs> and then she was like, Well, if you were, she might also be interested in that. I was like, okay, thanks for the heads up. Now, in Heather's, my wife's mind, now my wife's mind, in her mind she thought that meant I was going to go ask her out. It did not. It did not mean that at all. (laughs) I was just relieved I wasn't in trouble.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Were you attracted to her though? Were
0: you flattered? Oh, no. I I had told other people that like, oh, if I could go out with anybody, it would be her. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, that's cool. I didn't expect anything to come of it. (laughs) It's a really funny story. And so every time she would run into me, she was like expecting that I was going to stop and try to talk to her and ask her out. I was completely shy. I am in general shy when it comes to that kind of stuff. And um, that was never going to happen in a million years. (laughs) So eventually, um, eventually she called me up on our little walkie talkies that certain SEARC members had and, and I was just working late in my office or whatever. And she was like, I'm, I'm tired of waiting. And I'm like, I'm still thinking, what in the world is she talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and eventually I'm like, Oh, and she's senior to me. I had to call her, sir. You know, Scientology in theory, you call women, sir.
1: My God. <laughs> yeah. So every time I see go, yes, sir.
0: Yes, sir. Absolutely. Sir, sir, sir. sir. Yeah. Women are called Mr. In the Seer. it's uh, officers are called Mr. Like, like Mark, Mark and Claire Headley. Um, when you, if you ever see a Scientology document and it refers to Mr. Headley, it's not talking about Mark. It's talking about Claire. (laughs) Wow. That's fascinating. So so anyway, she's like, I'm tired of waiting. And I'm like, waiting for what? (laughs) And she goes, what do you think? And I was like, waiting for me. (laughs) (laughs) That's low self-esteem. And it was really, it sounds like low self-esteem, but it was really just, just naivete really. Um, and she was so, it's hard to describe how senior to me that she was. Like, it's not just like she was my boss. She would have been like my boss's, bosses, bosses, boss. So it was never going to happen unless, unless she pushed the, pushed the point. And she did push the point. And now going out in the Sea Org means like walking around the block at night. There's no going out. There's no dating in the Sea Org. So, um. Anyway, I mean, I think we were pretty much decided to get married after like three weeks or something like that.
1: And that was like almost 20 years ago. (laughs) It's worked well then, hasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) My God. So when did you, do you remember the conversation? Because did you have to sort of uh, nudge each other or find out, try and find out if you both wanted to leave?
0: So we never had a specific conversation about it. And that kind of sort of speaks to the insanity of the thought control and behavior control that exists in the c organization l Ron hubbard wrote a policy that it is a high crime to even discuss with another person the fact that you're p- thinking of leaving and that and that applies to married couples so it was becoming very apparent to her that i was you know really not wanting to be there anymore i was getting into some trouble um i would you know it was very apparent that i was not wanting to be there anymore. And there was just one interaction where I did say to her, the only reason I'm not leaving is because I don't want to get a divorce. And that's, that's all. I said, the only reason I'm not leaving is because I don't want to get a divorce. And she was like, well, just know
1: that if you leave, I will leave too. Oh, that must have been nice to hear.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, it's not even that, we didn't even, beyond that, like what I just expressed to you is the absolute extent of any conversation we ever had about it. We didn't even have a conversation of like, Hey, why don't we get pregnant? No, it was sort of a, uh, obviously certain things are required in order to get pregnant. So, you know, there was cooperation required on both sides, but without a conversation, I mean, just how crazy does this sound? We never even uh, had a conversation where it's like, Hey, how about we have a baby and start a family and we can get out of here. Never even had that conversation. However. When she did take a pregnancy test and tested positive, we were both like, "Oh!" We had a little celebration. We got some sushi, we got some cheese, we got some diet coke. We had a little sushi meal in our in our room. Like we were both like, "Okay, this is how we're gonna get out of here. this is how we're gonna get out of here." Because getting out is a long, humiliating process, and it's hard to do that if all you're doing is saying, I don't want to be here anymore. What would happen? Oh, you get separated, and you get put under watch, and you get uh, manual labor, and you get sex checked until... But what, if you,
1: uh, what if you say, thanks for this, thanks for the sec-check, the checks and all the different things, I'm literally walking out that door now, bye-bye. Oh, well, if you've already gone through all the sec-checks, then you're fine, you can, you can leave. But what if you, I don't want to, because what is it? a sex checks? To, they're basically just giving you sort of a therapy kind of thing and trying to convince you to stay.
0: No, a sex check would be like dozens to hundreds of hours of interrogation on the email. Oh,
1: fucking hell.
0: Now, it's so if you, if you want to leave the Sea Org and you want to continue to be a Scientologist in good standing, you have to go through that process. So if you say, go F yourself, I'm walking out the door right now. They might put up a fight for a little bit, but eventually they'll let you go, but they'll expel
1: you from Scientology. I forgot. See, that's the thing that's hard for people who aren't in it to understand is that it was still important. And it, for anyone who wants to leave the Sea Org, there's still that sort of, uh, it would, I don't want to use the word brainwashing because I, I don't think it's a real thing necessarily, but there's still that wanting to be part of it.
0: That's right. So even when we got to the point where we were like, man, this is pure hell. We don't want to do this anymore. There was still actually no part of us that thought, and we want to leave Scientology. No, we were like, no, the Sea Org, is, these guys are all screwed up and this is not good. We, we still wanted to do Scientology. We still wanted to be in Scientology. My whole family was Scientologists. Her whole family was Scientologists. All we wanted to do was leave the Sea Org. But this is how Scientology also has control over second generation members like this. If you don't agree to go through their procedures for leaving the Sea Org, you're going to be expelled and you're not going to see your, your family's going to disconnect from you. So, so that's why getting pregnant is the easiest and fastest way out of the Sea Org, because they can't subject you to months and months of BS because now they don't want someone walking around looking pregnant, right? They don't want that.
1: Hey, it's Andrew. Alison schrager if you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people join them every wednesday on what could go right available wherever you get your podcasts do you call your first child something like hope or escape or something
0: (laughs) freedom no she actually has a somewhat funny name (laughs) i guess i probably shouldn't say it but um, i guess not uh, no, no, no. And all my daughter's names begin with B. We're totally n- not intentional, not for any reason, but they all, they all have the same initials. <laughs> we
1: didn't BS. think that one through. We
0: didn't. <laughs> oh. so, BSL Um,
1: yeah. so yeah, we, we, didn't think that one through, but, um, okay. but BSL doesn't mean anything, does it? Does it? It's just BS does BS. does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Okay, so, but that's the short story of how did you go from thinking this was all great to wanting to leave. The sh- that, was, that was the short story of how we got to wanting to leave the Sea Org. And then it wasn't until 2000, not, that was, by the way, we left the Sea Org in 2006. And then in 2009 is when people like Mike Rinder, and at that time, Marty Rathbun, and Mark Headley, and Tom DeVoct, and uh, Jeff Hawkins, and Jenna Miscavige started coming out and i knew these people um at least as sort of celebrities in scientology and they started telling stories that made it clear like it's even worse at international management one of the ways i excused all of the abuse and horrible behavior that i saw is i thought it got worse the further away you got from management it got worse the closer you got to management and that made me start to reevaluate everything um at least at a surface level and then when i found out from the same people that the um the upper advanced ot levels that scientologists believe l ron hubbard finished before he died these are the secret levels that miscavige has always said l ron hubbard finished these they're they're in the vault they're completely ready for release this is why scientologists stick around and put up with so much abuse is because they think the real magic is being held waiting to be released when scientology reaches certain expansion benchmarks and when i found out that that itself is a lie that there, l ron hubbard did not leave behind any ot levels he did not leave behind anything the magic doesn't exist. This whole thing that Scientologists believe, full operating Thetan, full OT, OT 9 and 10, OT 15, it's a lie. That's when I was like, oh, I'm done, bye. You no longer have any power over me whatsoever. Um, that, started, that started in 2009. Um, but, but you also see how me wanting to leave the Sea Org was a completely different conversation than me wanting to leave Scientology or not believing in Scientology anymore.
1: Which is fascinating. And then what? where Where was your brother, where was your mom at this point? So,
0: well, for my brother, we'll back up. So on the training program that I said I was doing in Clearwater, he was on that program with me. And remember, we were only 15 years old when that program finished. At the tail end of that program, my brother got into a lot of trouble there at the base um, for stupid shit, you know, like, like, Going to the movies without permission, or getting a, a you know getting a, a titty mag or something. Um, but things that in Scientology at that time were honestly considered unforgivable, which just sounds so so stupid when I say it now. But anyway, he was sent home. But remember, my mom was at Clearwater, okay. And the only person that was in Philadelphia was the guy she had been married to, but had gotten divorced from since she went to Clearwater, okay. So he was sent back to Philly at the age of 15 to live with a guy he wasn't related to, uh, who was charging him rent, a 15 year old, and my brother was supposed to be working at the Philadelphia Org. And eventually, he's like, "Screw this!" and he, you know, stopped going to the Org and whatnot. Anyway, so my brother sort of, as far as Scientology was concerned, you know, sort of fell fell off the wagon. Okay, and then I said that in 1998, me and my brother moved to California together. So during that time, he really got kind of involved in like uh, drinking and drugs. Um, when I went back to Philadelphia to finish my staff contract, he did not, he stayed in LA, continued to get more into drinking and drugs, got into some legal trouble, ended up moving with my dad, moving in with my dad and his wife in New Mexico, um, started, uh, going to school, um, was doing really well, was still into drinking and drugs though. And he ended up dying in a car accident. Uh, he was not the driver, but the driver was drunk and everyone was drunk in the car, but my brother was not the driver. And he died in that car accident in 2003. So I was still in the Sea Org in Los Angeles. In fact, I had just recently joined the Sea Org when he died. So by the time, and my, my mom, um, uh, when I left Clearwater at the age of 15, that was the last time I was like supported by my mom. Like I was basically on my own from 15 on. So when my mom finished her training and came back to Philadelphia, it was her who was living with me, not the other way around. Um, so I'm trying to give you, I'm giving you multiple answers to one question. So when I left the Sea Org, my mom was still working for Scientology in Philadelphia In 2009, when I started leaving Scientology, my mom had already finished her staff contract in Philadelphia and was also now living in Clearwater and was also on her own path out of Scientology. She was waking waking up to the same things I was waking up to.
1: I'm so sorry to hear about your brother. That must have been really quite tragic to hear. How did it feel hearing about that?
0: Oh, it was the worst thing. Yeah, it was not good. It was not good. I told that story on the Scientology and the Aftermath show. And uh, yeah, no, it
1: was the worst thing you could imagine. So you, you weren't affected at that point by that feeling of like, oh, it's just a thetan in a body or anything? Oh, no. I, I never, I mean,
0: th- yeah, no.
1: No, that, that didn't bring any comfort. Yeah.
0: I tended not to think about things that way, you know, because it's one of those things where like, again, as I've said, you you're sort of put on a path, you're given a job to do. The things I did in Scientology were more so that it's what I knew and it's what I was really, really good at. It's not necessarily that I was motivated by some really deep overriding belief. The belief is just kind of what sprang up every now and then when I had to convince myself why I was going to keep doing this thing I didn't really want to be doing anymore.
1: Feels like being in the army. Maybe. I mean, I was never in the army, but give me an example of how that works. Well, just because I think a lot of people who are soldiers in the army don't necessarily believe in the wars that they're fighting. Some do, of course, but I think a lot of them don't. It's just more about some of them enjoy that lifestyle. Some of them like the discipline. Some of them don't know what else to do, and they're just sort of there. I'm only talking about a generalization, of course. I don't speak for all people in the army, but uh, that's how a lot of it is, and it reminds me a little bit of how you've described your time in Scientology. That does make sense because even the story that I would tell myself
0: of like oh remember why we're doing this it's not like you could draw a direct line between what I was doing and the story that I was telling myself it's just something I told myself to make continuing to do what I was doing more palatable you know it's not like I woke up every day and did my job in the Sea Org and I'm like yep we're we're Getting rid of the prison planet, <laughs> it's like you're not, you're obviously nothing you're doing today has anything to do with the prison planet, but somehow that story is, remember why this is so important. Remember why you're doing this. Oh yes, yes, yes. Now I remember. Okay. Back to the fields.
1: <laughs> hey, how are you, how are you doing now? How, how do you raise your children as do you think it's affected by your own childhood and Scientology?
0: I think so. But I can tell you that um, my kids, it's weird. Like, because my wife and I, we were still, you know, we didn't officially leave Scientology until 2014. We had our first kid in 2006. So that's eight years. Eight years. And our kids are all two years apart. So we had a kid in 2006, 2008, 2010. Yeah. So we had all three of our kids. We, for four years, all of them had all of them for four years before we left Scientology. We never said one word to our kids about Scientology. It's almost this weird thing. It's almost like, imagine what that means for us. Like my wife and I never had a conversation where we said, we are not going to use Scientology on our kids. We are not going to introduce our kids to Scientology. It's almost like, it was almost like (laughs) at our DNA level, we were like, look, this might've been fine for us. We sort of made it through okay. Okay we're not doing this with our kids and we didn't even have a conversation about that and yet that's what we did we never did scientology with our kids they didn't never heard the word l run hubbard they didn't see scientology books they didn't you know do study how to use a dictionary how to you know this how to that and so i'm answering the question in sort of two different ways Um, scientology did not affect our kids upbringing other than perhaps the damage Scientology has done to either me and or my wife and how that might be passed on to our kids. Um, Probably more on my end than my wife's end. Um, But like, yeah, they they never were exposed to any of that. And I find that also to be pretty common and pretty true for second generation members who are like, you know, I did okay with it, but not my kids. I'm not doing that with my kids.
1: Is there any other religion that you take them to a thing for?
0: Oh, no. I, I, I'm pretty atheisty.
1: Hmm. <laughs> well, fair enough. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Oh, well, and, 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 and that's it. You're, and you're doing quite beautifully now, right? Right, Aaron? Right? <laughs> oh,
0: for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um, no, it's funny, like, because I didn't have that high school experience or whatever, I'm, I'm very open about that with my kids,
1: you know? Yeah.
0: Uh, they, they, they think it's funny because they can tease they? me about it. 16 14 and 12
1: okay oh they must be giving you shit about like school oh you didn't learn about an oxbow lake dad
0: yeah i mean my oldest she's 16 but they also started school a bit early so she's already a junior in high school and so she'll be like you wouldn't know anything about this dad you didn't go to school (laughs) i think it's hilarious i love it and um But I also, you know, I'll try to explain to them all the time my thought process. Like, and I don't know if this is something because of Scientology or if it's part of how I unwind from Scientology. I'll be like, look, if I'm asking you to, I'm not asking you to do this because like uh, I'll frame everything. I'll be like, what I want, I want you guys to understand how I think. And how I think so that if I tell you something, it's not, I'm not just giving you an order that you have to blindly follow. Like, I want you guys to be able to ask me, why is it that you want me to do it that way? Or do I have to do it now? Like, I'm also in some ways trying to treat them not like just kids. I guess that's one thing I've taken from Scientology. I know how much it resonated with me to not just be treated like a kid. And so I try to do that to them in a positive way and not a negative way. Like, I want them to be able to have the kid experience, but I also want them to know that I'm willing for them to have, you know, freedoms and privileges. And it, they're not just kids. Cause I know how good that felt to be grant, granted. Um, the Scientology board would be granted beingness, granted more beingness, that you're not just a kid. You're capable of being treated as a relative equal. So my way of treating them as an equal is to explain to them the reasons for things or how I'm thinking about something or why this might be the better way to do it um, so that they're, uh, they're not just expected to, you only have to do what mom and dad says and that's the end of it. You know what I mean? So I try to be aware of the negative aspects of Scientology, and not, and not to keep that from flowing through, but you know everyone's got their blind spots, and it's hard to it's hard to know what to do about that.
1: What is your aim with your channel growing up in Scientology? Do you do you want to bring down oh, and expose?
0: I want to be David Miscavige's worst nightmare, <laughs> <laughs> and that can take on different forms because the truth is. Scientology's worst nightmare is just having the truth of their abuses exposed. So I'd make that a priority. I also just enjoy trolling the shit out of them. Um, I enjoy the fact that there's nothing – the internet age has advanced to a point where there's just literally nothing Scientology can do about the people who expose their abuses and their lies and their fraud. And, and it has become a fraud. Like it's not just a belief system, like Christianity, you want to believe in Jesus, you want to believe in God, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but it's not like they're hiding some secret document in the vault that says it's not true and they're keeping it from you. It's faith. Scientology is literally a fraud. They're literally telling people L. Ron Hubbard accomplished X, Y, and Z. The proof of it is right behind this locked door here. And once you give me enough money, you'll get the secrets. That is demonstrably and provably false. So on the one hand, I wanna help Scientologists wake up to this fact and stop throwing their time and their money away on what is literally a scam and a fraud. And I try to do that in as honest of a way as I can so that everything I say will resonate with a Scientologist and won't just sound like uh, hateful lies. Um, and and I, 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 you could almost characterize everything I do as just um, being David Miscavige's worst nightmare. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, if you want to help Aaron be David Miscavige, the leader of Scientology's worst nightmare, go check out "Growing Up in Scientology," a wonderful YouTube channel. Go subscribe to that and find Aaron Smith Levin on on Twitter. You're on Twitter, aren't you? Maybe
0: I am uh, at Growing Up in
1: SCN. There you go. That's short for Scientology SCN. Thank you for being on the Edge, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Aaron Smith-Levin, for that wonderful 2 part It's always a pleasure speaking to him. I do a lot more talks with him that only go out on the YouTube, so make sure to follow the YouTube. That's youtube.com slash gold one or just type on the Edge with Andrew Gold into YouTube. Uh, please keep following me on the Patreon and the Twitter and the Instagram and all those things. It's very much appreciated and means that if this does fall apart, as, as it might do, you guys will be told where the new links and the new videos and the new audios will be. Uh, have a lovely week guys Judy was boring hello
0: then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com
1: it's my little escape
0: now Judy's the life of the party
1: oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon
0: whoa take it easy Judy the chumba life is for everybody so go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumpacasino.com and